things I say and shouldn't say. Okay. Everyone needs a little check and balance. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm closing out a, a story in the Bible where Jesus goes into this town called, an area called Samaria and into a little village and he sits by a well because he's tired and he wanted to go into that area on purpose. Now, what was strange and odd about the story is that most people avoid that area, especially if you're an Israelite Jewish person, you walk around Samaria. You may have heard in the, in the Bible the stories of Good Samaritan that Jesus uses. He uses that story because they are the most hated people in the area, but Jesus used them as an example of, hey, they're not that bad. So Jesus goes to this place as well. And so I'm, I'm ending the, the story in my sermon series uh, that Jesus sits at the well with this woman and what we've learned from there. But I wanted us to peel back a little bit and just kind of give us a broader context that every person's life means something to God. Whether you don't like them or whether you're irritated by them, every human being means something to God. Whether we like them or not, and there's people that we honestly, we just don't like, right? Thank God they're not sitting here, but they're out there and we don't like them. God is restoring the, the conflict of humanity. That's why this story is so important to know in John 4. He goes to a place that's, that's conflicted. The people are conflicted. Jesus also goes to restore the 12 tribes of Israel in the Old Testament. that were once together, but now they're scattered. So he's trying to collect God's people back again. And he's also trying to collect you guys. You guys are, are the other nations. So it was the Israelites, and then it was other nations. So Jesus is not just getting back his people, the Jewish people. He's rescuing you, me, and our family, everyone. So the question is, why did Jesus come in the first place? Why did he, why did he come down from heaven and here? And some of you will say, because Adam and Eve, she ate that apple. It was the woman's fault, and the man saw it, and he didn't do anything. That is actually true. But there's more to the story than just Adam and Eve. That estranged mankind and God, it did. But God had a plan to be with mankind again. Another aspect of why Jesus comes, he comes to undo something else. Not just the curse of what happened with Adam and Eve. But in the, in the Old Testament, you always read this phrase that says, the, God of, the gods of the other nations. Don't worship other gods. Jesus writes, only worship the Lord your God only. Don't worship other gods. And you know, when you read, you always, you always wonder, who, who are those people? Who are the other gods of the nations in the Old Testament? For years, I was just going, they must be like fictions of their imaginations. It has to be because there's only one God. And then I stumble across a passage like this. This is there actually are gods of the nations. To the writers of the Hebrew Bible, the gods of the other nations were very real. They are real entities. We know this because there's a psalm written specifically about them and their behavior. You see, these immortal supernatural beings are a part of God's family in heaven. And God had it in his mind, I have my family here and we're going to help the humans and they're going to help co-lead with me the earth. They're going to help me rule the earth and all these nations. 
as I work with Abraham to restore mankind. But something goes terribly wrong in the story. Instead of working with God, they actively work against God. You ever do that in your life? Where you're like a, you're like a Christian, you love God, and then you do things that are actively against God? Can you relate to that rebellion at all? What scares me the most is that when you get to heaven, you still have a choice. I want a lobotomy. That's what I want to do. I don't even want to be tempted with disobeying God. Just put something in there and make me obey everything he says. I don't want to be tempted. But even, even all of us should know that we're created in God's image. We're created just like God. And God loves free choice and free will. That's why you get to have that choice. So in Psalm 82, God brings these spiritual beings together. And he's upset because they're not doing what he asked them to do. This is why the gods of the nations were fighting against Israel. So God presides in his great assembly. He renders judgment among the gods. How long will you defend the unjust? How long will you show partiality to the wicked? Defend the weak. Defend the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. So God is not happy. He's upset. They're supposed to be doing things that are for God, like protecting people, looking after people. But the gods of the nations, it doesn't explicitly tell us why they rebelled, but there's some implications. Because the Israelites struggled and they worshiped them. That's why God says, don't worship other gods. That's why in the Ten Commandments, God says, you will not worship other gods besides me, for I am a jealous God. Because God made those gods. God created other spiritual beings because God believes in family. He has a spiritual family and he has a human family, and that's us. But we're estranged from God, and they're not helping get they're not helping God get you back to him. They're working against God. That's why God's saying, "Hey, what are you guys doing?" And so God renders judgment. He says the gods, the gods of these nations, they know nothing. They understand nothing. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, quote, you are gods. You are all sons of the Most High. But you will die like mere mortals. And you will fall like every other ruler. God renders judgment and tells them, your punishment is going to be going from a spiritual being and you'll die just like a mortal being. That is their punishment because God was so upset at their decision to actively work against him because mankind's salvation was at stake. And then God renders this last statement in the psalm. Rise up, O God, judge the earth, for all the nations are your inheritance. God was giving us a little hint of what was to come. How is God going to collect all the nations again? Because they were estranged from him. Well, that word rise up Translated from the Hebrew to the Greek is resurrection. God will gather back all the nations through the resurrection of Jesus. That's why Jesus is going to Samaria. 
He's going to make contact with his people. I'm here. I'm the Messiah. I'm going to return this thing upside down and bring you back to God. I really love the story of the Bible because it's such an epic saga. I love, I love watching epic movies like that, that are three in a box. The first one was The Godfather. You know, you get through those. Like, I love those movies. I love, we love them too. That's why we binge watch, right? Episode two, three, four, five. What time is it? I can go another one. We, we do it all. We love it. Netflix has our number because we love the saga. We love the story. So Jesus goes to this place called Sychar, and it's the hated Samaritans. And a few weeks ago, I said, somewhere in your life, you have someone that's hated. You don't like him or someone you know, you really respect doesn't like this person, but he's in your life. God puts people like that for us to love, for us to look after. So Jesus goes out in this, in this well and he sees this woman there and, and, and then the, the guys leave and he's left, he's left alone there for some time and Jesus interacts with this woman and he's telling them basically, I've come here to this place because I'm going to give eternal life to everyone. I'm going to give eternal life to all mankind. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm in enemy territory. Because it belongs to you too. You will no longer be estranged. You will no longer be a stranger to God. No matter how far you think you've gone, that you think God will never take you back, Jesus is living proof proof that he does. You are not too far from God. God will always pursue you. God will always seek you. Part of the things that, 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 that limit us in our understanding at times is that we can get kind of blind. We get kind of cloudy vision. You know, I was trying to sell my Honda and I, I'm not a very good sales guy. You know, I try to do on the, you know, a Craigslist, how do you sell it? And guys are coming in, I'll take, I'll take this amount. I was like, that's crazy. I don't want, I want to, it's worth more. I feel like I was trying to get robbed. And I get, you get advice from brothers in the church and they kind of, they kind of, you got to do it this way. So I did it that way. And I got a guy who came in because I want to come and see your car. And turns out he's one of our disciples who left a while ago. He was estranged. And I didn't, we didn't know. I was like, Hey, you know, I was like, what do you think? And I, t- you know, cause Karen makes me tell all the things that are wrong with the car. She, she makes me be totally honest. Well, the AC only works nine times out of 10. Hope I don't lose the deal. I was tempted not to say anything because I'm like, that could be a deal breaker. But no, I told them the AC. I told them this. I told them that. The gas thing doesn't thing work inside. You got to use your finger. I'm like, how oh, embarrassing. I'm going to lose the sale. I'm going to lose the sale. And he bought the car. But more importantly, he texted me and goes, I'm so grateful that God brought us together. I didn't know God was going to use this Honda who I bought, I bought two years ago from another disciple for myself because my daughter's going to start driving. My dad buys her a car and I'm left with an extra car. I felt like a baron, you know, like a land baron. Like, I got all these cars. So I sold it. And I'm so glad because I was tempted to keep it. I was tempted going, well, maybe Jaden, you know, he's getting older. Maybe I should hold on to it. So now I'm going to sell it. And I'm so glad I did because I connected me to this man who's looking to get reconnected. So cool. I was so excited. I almost was blind to it. I almost got blind. But blindness is, is a very serious thing for us because 
Blindness occurs when we start to value our opinions more than the Bible. That's when you get blind. That's when blindness occurs. Your, your opinion is more important than God's word. You get blind. And your opinions can be strong. I know you people. I've been your minister a long time. But even more sinister than opinions is our feelings. Oh, the force is strong there. The force is strong with our feelings. And your feelings can, your experience can be more important than what the Bible actually says. And that causes blindness. Are you with me? Okay. And what happens when we're blind is we do this. We divide secular and sacred. Human beings have the uncanny ability to live carp-sectionalized lives. That's probably a better way to say it. (laughs) We can take our life in little sections and keep them in different compartments. And we have the the uncanny ability to do that. Some people call that a double life, right? Let me give you some examples. I changed the names, but, you know, don't try to figure out who it is. Frank attends church and sings about God's love. But on the way home, he pronounces the death penalty to another driver. For Frank, Sunday church is for God. Monday to Saturday is for work. He separates the two. Jane yells at her husband, berating him for his lack of spiritual leadership with the children. He walks away deflated and crushed. She walks away convinced she has fought valiantly in God's name. Right? I do that too sometimes. Jim has a disciplined devotional time with God each and every day before going to work. Then he doesn't think about God's presence with him all throughout the day while at work or when he comes home to be with his wife and his kids. Because that was a quiet time. It's so separate. Kimberly cries during songs about love and grace at church, but then she regularly complains and blames others for the difficulties and trials in her life. When we separate these two, we become no different than the world around us. This is from a book called Emotional Healthy Spirituality. And I thought, man, that's a great insight into keeping us from becoming blind. Because we don't want to merely look at the word. We want to do what it says. Otherwise, we deceive ourselves. We're blind. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at it, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Jesus is at the well. The woman leaves a jar of water goes back into town because Jesus has this amazing conversation about being about spiritual and the history of the, of, of the people there. And she goes and tells the townspeople about Jesus and they come toward him. While that's happening, the disciples come back and they, they see him talking to this woman. Says, Meanwhile, his disciples urged him to eat something because he was exhausted. He was tired. It's a long walk. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then the disciples said to each other, could someone farm food? <laughs> now this is a pattern that Jesus would say these little statements 
And the disciples were always confused about what he meant. For example, Jesus says, I will raise this temple in three days. It took 46 years to build. What does he mean by that? Or, you must be born again. How can a man go back into the mother's womb to be born? I'll give you living water. And the woman's like, you don't have a bucket. He would say these statements and, and, and it, would just, it would just confuse the person he's talking to. And what he was exposing was their spiritual blindness. He's talking here and we're down here. I have food that you know nothing about. Did someone bring him some food? What is going on? This is a trait of the disciples in Jesus. They were spiritually blind, just like we can be spiritually blind, right? I wear glasses. Every year, my blindness increases. If I want to get out of bed and I want to look at my phone to say, okay, who are my texts? Where are my messages? I can't see a thing. I mean, unless I put them like font like super crazy where I see a letter A and I got to scroll A, B. I don't do that. And I'm blind. But I'm also spiritually blind. There are things that I read in the Bible that I just don't apply. I'm blind. Then, then I'll hear it in a different way. Oh, it was there. I missed it. I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I wasn't paying attention. Blindness. How can being blind... How can, it, how can we realize that we're blind? How do we... How do we hone in on that? Well, one way of doing it is reading the word of God. It clears up the blindness. God is doing something around you, but you may not be able to see it. A lot of times God's working and helping you have an impact in your world, and you're completely blind to it because you're not even paying attention to it. It's kind of like the guy who, who had his quiet time then completely forgot about the presence of God. God is working harder at getting the message out than you are, and I will ever be. He's working so hard in doing that. He worked so hard, I sold a guy to a car who was looking. That's how God's working. I can't explain that. I put the ad in LA County. I put the ad in Ventura County. And he was the only one, no, he was the second person to come visit. The first guy insulted me with the offer. I was like, get out of here, please. I didn't say it that meanly, but I was like, in my heart, I was like, get away, get off the street, arrest this man. <laughs> Jesus goes, my food. Because they were asking, how did he, what's, who fed this guy? He goes, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. He goes, my nourishment comes from doing God's will. And I'm going to finish the work. You know, we all need food. Without food, we have no energy. Food is what gives us strength to go to work. And Jesus says, I am strengthened to do what God has given me to do by doing what God has given me to do. Who can talk like that? I can't do that. Only God talks like that. 
God talks like that. We're just humans. God's will for Jesus. The work he gave him to accomplish was to give humans eternal life. That was the mission. Go give the humans eternal life. I want them back with me. But they're messed up. I want them back with me. But they, they're blind. I want them back with me. So when Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work, he means my food is eternal life that I freely give. That's why he came. That's why in Psalm 82 it says, rise up, God, and inherit the nations. And Jesus knows that eternal life is going to come at a cost. It's going to come at a cost for him. That's why, he does, that's why he's fearless when he says, if you, want to, if you die, then you'll live. Because that's what he did. Because he died and then he lived and was able to give you eternal life. That's why he tells everyone who wants to follow him, you have to die to yourself if you want to live. And we say, amen. At first it's a little awkward because it's almost like, what do you say? <laughs> right? We need some clarification. What does that mean? And then he says this in John. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. Jesus turns to his disciples and he says that the harvest is open now. You know, sometimes I, you know, I, I get in this, this thing, if I don't pray about it, God can't work. I didn't pray about a guy, a guy buying my Honda and then meeting him and starting a friendship and him, you know, him being a uh, part of our church for many years. I, I had nothing to do with that. What that showed me is that sometimes I think I can limit myself in what God can do. God is always working. I didn't see this coming. I was encouraged. He's coming over for dinner. This, this guy, I mean, I was in the house. I, I was like, I, I was like, man, this is amazing. He brought his children over. They met my kids. It was like, I mean, it felt like, wow. You know, when you, go, when you hug someone, you go, this guy, this guy's here to stay. That's what it felt like, at least. It was awesome. Jesus is telling the disciples, and he's telling us, the harvest is ready now. You have people in your life, in your household, that are ready. They're just there. The hardest thing for people to get Two were the Samaritans. And Jesus gives them eternal life. They were the hardest people to get to. And they come and they hear him and they listen to this woman and they come to hear Jesus. And he's here to do the will of God. That's why he tells us and tells them and tells, tells all of us. Don't say four months until the harvest. We have the opportunity now to engage to spend time with, to love, to encourage, to listen to, to meet their needs. Our job, our role is to receive God's love and then give it. It's never meant to be taking this for yourself. God loves me. Yeah. Too bad. God loves me. It's, it's not why we're here. 
We love God's love, but he, he gives it to us so you can give it to others. It feels better when we do that, doesn't it? So, the opportunity is now. Now. It's here. People will come out and make their way towards you because God is sending them your way. It's the, it's the most astonishing thing when I see people bump into me that are looking for a relationship with God. It just proves once again that God is always working. He's working on my good day and he's working on my bad days. And sometimes on my bad days, I'm like, no way, everyone should stay away from me. God is still working. God will still put someone to love in your life, even though you're having a horrible day. Because God believes that you can give the gospel to your friends and to your family until this church is full of our friends and our family. So I, I go through this little, these little points in my sermon series. One was just make a, make a list of people who are in your life. Like be a, become aware of them. Who are they? Spend time with them. Pray for them. I have this little prayer list I go through every day, and I pray for about 20 people a day. And I spend time with them. I just added, I just, I just added um, a few more yesterday. It was awesome. Just adding more people. But also the last point is having the opportunity. You have the opportunity. That's why we have family group this week. Then, you're, then we have nothing next week. And hopefully you can fill that week with someone that's in your circle, in your life, and just spend some time with them. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's lunch. I'm having, I'm having tacos mon- on Monday night with a friend. Yeah. She's making us tacos. I love eating tacos. I love when they invite me over so I can eat their food. I love that. And I have this little chart. This is you, people around you. You may not be aware. You may be aware. I can put a Samaritan in that circle. A Samaritan says someone that you may not like. But he's there. And he's there for a reason. Because the only thing that matters is your faith expressing itself through love. And being loving is something that we all can do. But it takes a little effort, a little time, a little concentration to love people around us. But I think we can do that. Let's bow our heads and say a word of prayer.